0: Hey everybody, this is John Swan, and this is Ken Milam, and we're going to be your host today for this special bonus episode of The Hive Jive. Jive. (laughs) This bonus episode is brought to you by Wicked (laughs) Bee. Now we can actually start the actual episode, Okay. which I don't know what we're really talking about. I still got my phone pulled up on temperatures.
1: I know one thing we can talk about. I know you're looking at temperature, so I know what you're going to talk about, and I'm going to get, I'm going to beat you to it. We ought to talk about it's winter we have two days of winter today (laughs) we had yesterday winter and today winter and it's supposed to be back in the 70s or 80s
0: tomorrow yep 78 tomorrow 80 something on monday 89 on tuesday or no 90 on tuesday and then drops back to 80 something or 70 i don't know it's all over the place yeah so that's
1: that's why we love it in texas and we love y'all to stay up north no well it's not it but it, it 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 it's nice here sometimes its it's been damn hot for a
0: long time it is we had a it was so there was two cold fronts that came through and that first cold front it dropped us down we had uh like high it it was like a high 70 low 80 day that was the first day in 105 days straight that we had finally dropped below 90 degrees yep and a good chunk of those consecutively in that 105-day range was over 100 degrees. Oh, so yeah, we've miserable. been boiling and baking down here. And we did post, um, we did post a couple of things on social media, and and. Uh, we, we had a couple of people on there that was like, oh, 47, you poor babies. You know, like we, we envy you because, you know, they deal with way colder temperatures than that. Um, well,
1: it was 44 yesterday morning at my house.
0: Yeah, well, I, I when I posted that video out yesterday, it was 47 degrees yeah. down here. And that's why I was like, it's a balmy 47 degrees. Yeah. Uh, now, one of the interesting little things, too, though, is, um, you know, internet haters going to hate and there was a, a gentleman in Tennessee that he does not listen to the show and he doesn't follow any of the stuff. He just picked it up on one of the news feeds. And so he, he felt the need to post a comment on that. And he, he commented and said, yeah, this is just bad info. And I kind of went back through it and I looked at what had been typed in there. And, you know, obviously I did the video, so I know what the mm-hmm. video said. And I just kind of chuckled. And, you know, so so to the random gentleman, the the pleasant gentleman in Tennessee, wherever you are, who probably never listens, um, it's not actually bad info. Because, you know, you don't want to half-ass things. You don't want to just go off, you know, half-cocked and, and do things that you don't seem to think necessarily are a bad thing. But you don't want to teach first-year beekeepers bad habits. And if you're in a commercial industry or a commercial world, there are, you're governed by a calendar and a time mm-hmm. clock. And it doesn't matter if it's raining or snowing or what's going on. Your schedule says, I have to do X, Y, Z, and it has to be done by tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So you got to go out there and do it. And that's a completely different lifestyle than a backyard beekeeper or a beekeeper who has 10 or less colonies that's mm-hmm. just trying to make sure they do good and they survive. So what the, the post and everything was was basically when it's cold outside. Mm-hmm. Don't open up your hives unless it's an emergency. That was the main point of that. And the way that the bees work, whenever it is, so if it's below 50 degrees, Mm -hmm. they stay inside the colony, they are clustered up, and the only thing they do is vibrate to generate heat and try to keep that interior warm, right? Mm -hmm. If it moves up between 50 and 60, they will leave the colony, they will do short little relieving flights, and then they'll come right back in. And then above 60 degrees, they'll actively go and forage. Now, some of your races of bees, your Carniolans and your Russians, the ones that are really used to the cold, cold yeah. weather, they will actually forage between that 50 and 60 degree range as well. They don't wait till it gets above 60. They'll go out and they'll actually forage for things and bring them back in. There's been uh, there's been some evidence that uh, every now and then bees will actually forage when it's colder than 50 degrees too really? but they're looking for water and you'll see them where there's been like a trusted water source or landed mm-hmm. on snow where there's a little kind of half melted puddle of ice mm-hmm. and they'll take some of that water and take it back to the colony but that's at a great detriment or, or risk not detriment it's for a great Nail. risk Nail. for the bee because that bee the whole time has to be shivering to keep itself warm enough that its flight muscles can fly and if it drops below that internal temperature then its muscles lock up and it can't go anywhere and it, it's going to freeze and die wow. so there's, there's a lot of things to that, but inside the colonies right now, these are our first few cold snaps, and, and this is one of the reasons why everything in beekeeping can be a contradiction, and it's all situational, and it's all very specific, and you have to take into account the entire scenario, not just a blanket statement. So we're coming into the very beginning of winter which means a lot of colonies may still have a lot of brood production going on and a lot of larvae in there that they're finishing off trying to raise. It hasn't, like, especially for us, we went from 90-plus degrees to 47, and it happened overnight. So our colonies... uh, Really, it It, happened overnight. It literally happened overnight. (laughs) Yes. Um, We we went to bed one day and we were sweating and we woke up the next day and we were like, what the hell happened?
1: (laughs) And the bees are doing the same thing. (laughs) What the hell happened here? Yeah.
0: So you end up with a situation where... You turn around and you've gone from, well, there's no sign of fall or winter happening, to now all of a sudden it's just drastically cold. But they (laughs) were already still raising babies and raising brood, and those are still trapped in there. So if you were to do a full inspection and you were going to go through and you were going to pull out those frames, what's going to end up happening is you pull out that frame and you expose it to those temperatures that are below 60 degrees, you're going to chill the larva chill the brood and you could end up killing it if you hold it out there too long so if you're doing an inspection and you're trying to find your queen and you're not good at it right. and you're flipping and flopping that frame out there in the cold and air and cooling it off yeah you're going to yeah. kill the babies and that's why you shouldn't open it up you're not going to necessarily harm the brood or the the, uh, the cluster right. of bees the overwintering bees but they're still going to cluster together they'll be sluggish they're going to vibrate to generate heat but you're going to kill those last few generations of offspring that they were trying to raise for winter bees so that's why you do not open your colonies and do full inspections when it's below 60 degrees unless it's an absolute emergency.
1: Because which bees do you really want?
0: You want the winter bees. Yeah. You want those fat winter bees yeah. that have the more fat deposits in their body. Those are the ones that are going to make it three or four months through winter and make sure your colony survives. Yep. So, no, sir, not bad information. <laughs> <laughs> So let's uh we're going to we're going to kind of turn this into a uh, a little mini listener question episode. I say mini there may be more in here than I'm uh, necessarily thinking of, but before we jump into that, let's go and let's get kind of a uh, there's every week something changes. So let's get an update on your stuff. Okay. Last time we talked, you guys had just caught a swarm right? down there at uh, Wake Point.
1: And we fed them, and we fed them pollen, and I walked down there the other day. I uh, told Max, my son, I said, we're going to go open that new up and see what's left in there, What's how they're looking, see if they're doing anything with the uh, five-drawn-out comb, and I put in there. Nope. There was no bees. I guess the queen lost enough weight so she could get through the excluder, and they all
0: hauled ass. Well, <laughs> or, and this is speculative, she may not have ever been in there.
1: Well, that's true too. Yeah. yeah if maybe. there
0: if there was no queen in there to begin with, then there was no allegiance to stay in that place. Mm. Now, when you went through and you looked, you said that there they had stored no food, nothing, no pollen. Nothing. There were no eggs, so they nothing. made no attempt to no. make that their home. Nope. They just happily stayed inside yep. the shelter and drank all the sugar syrup you gave them. Yep. That they kept it, they ate pollen. Yep. Yeah. They they kept it with them as food stores, mm-hmm. and then they continued on their journey looking for you know yep. whatever cavity they deemed yep. was suitable. So, potentially, one of your off-again, on-again bee trees around there may have a new colony inside of it. (laughs)
1: Yeah, Yep. I figure they might have enough to live. I don't know. I figure they'll die this winter. I don't know. What do you think?
0: Uh, It depends. If they move into a bee tree that already has comb in it, Mm -hmm. and they just have to reestablish and populate, Mm -hmm. mm, they may have a chance to make it. Okay. If they move into a cavity that has zero comb in it, they're going to expend all of the resources that they've saved just to build out that comb, and then there's going to be no resources left for food stores. No, it's not quite Thanksgiving yet. Not
1: yet. I but your phone
0: look. gobbles all year round. <laughs> I just uh, uh,
1: now. So let me ask you something. Now, I put the put that swarm in a five frame nuke. Mm-hmm. If I'd have known it was as big a swarm, because it's just easier to handle a five frame nuke.
0: Yes, when you're catching. When you're, upon, them, yeah. when
1: you're catching. Yeah. If I had put them in an eight frame nuke because it was a big swarm of bees, mm-hmm. would it have been easier? And
0: put a queen excluder on, you know. Well, the nuke box that you used had a queen excluder disc on the front. Yes, it had the, the disc. Front yes. So if your queen was in there, that disc would have done the same thing as the queen excluder on the bottom of the colony. So that's a one and one. That's a wash on that yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. The space part of it, maybe. Mm-hmm. they may have gotten in there and they may have been like, well, this is, this is more of the preferable size that we're looking for. Right. But the other part of that is, again, it's extremely late in the year. Winter is coming. And yep. so you have this contradiction between what the beekeeper knows or thinks is best and then what the bees have evolved to look for. So they Thanks. could have decided, well, that, that box is too small, so let's try to find something bigger. But at the same time, they there was already comb in there. It smelled like bees. Bees lived in there for quite a while. And these yep. guys made zero attempt to even move in whatsoever. Yep. They didn't do anything. They
1: didn't do anything.
0: So I don't know. Um that is, that is actually, and it's it's good that you've experienced this and the listeners have got to hear it multiple mm-hmm. times over. Mm-hmm. We went and we caught a swarm. We put the swarm in a container. Or the, Well, the first swarm chose a barrel. They chose the in. barrel.
1: They, took, they they moved all moved in. And then they the left. next day, they said, oh, <laughs> hell no. This is
0: too little. It's, we no, didn't it, have too a little. it was on too little. too hot. It. Yeah. The barrel was too hot. It's not little. It's huge. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> huge. But it, it it's a huge swarm. It was big. And so you end up with this scenario where that first one moved in. They thought, and they chose yep. on their own accord, but then the next day it got way too hot, and they yep. were like, nope, not going to work, and yep. they left. They left. And then you caught a swarm. We put it into a container. It left. Yep. We had to catch that sucker three times.
1: And then we finally
0: got before it. Before <laughs> it finally stayed. And now that one is good, and it's it's sitting there, and it's doing all right. Well, then you guys got this one at Wake Point. You put it in there, and it stayed for several days. Yeah. Yeah, it did, and then all of a sudden it turned around and left. And they just
1: turned around and left. So, and they were even bearding on outside small beards, not huge beards, and then they would move in. Yeah, at night and they'd at go night, inside. And I'm sitting, well, I think they're home. Yeah, That's, yeah. So well, we, we let's go down there and check them. I already have. Them. Ain't nothing there. I said, Any dead bees? Don't. They just left. they
0: just gone. Yeah, they they didn't die. They just yeah, left.
1: And then you know we had the trailer hive. Which, uh, we got to open it up Monday or Tuesday.
0: Yeah, now, so so just a little side note. Um, today is Saturday, and it is only 55 degrees at the moment. Yeah. And we, now, if we were going to go do a food store check. So we were supposed to go out to Ken's today, and we were supposed to check mm-hmm. all of the colonies yep. so that we could have a nice, good idea of where they're at so that we can start doing any, like hardcore feeding on any of them that are lacking behind mm-hmm. on their food stores. But this little cold snap kind of threw us for a loop, and so we're not going to be able to go do that today. And and again, like I explained at the beginning, it's all due to those temperatures, and it's, right. we don't want to stress them out unduly. <laughs> We don't want to do anything that's going to cause any, any negative effects. We want them to be strong and healthy going into winter. Mm-hmm. So if we don't have to open it today, we know that in two days it's going to be 80 degrees again. Right. We and can wait two days and, and check it and then. And it's looking
1: like now, next weekend's going to be warm. So if you're off... Yeah, next weekend yeah. will be as well. Now, one of the things I wanted to make sure of is the two hives that were honey-bound. You know, we got the, the, got the, the brood box and we got the medium, and they were honey-bound. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a lot of bees in there, so we took four frames of the honey out of the brood box, put four frames of comb back in there, and now,
0: because there was not enough bees in there to live. No, that one colony was, was pretty sparse. The, so there, those, those two colonies, those were the full-size colonies that yes. you bought late in the year, mm-hmm. and the one colony, it was decent. Like, it it could have went into winter if it needed to that day. It it was fine. But we went ahead and took those four frames out of both of them because they both were Mm -hmm. honey-bound. So we took those out. We gave them the four-drawn comb Mm -hmm. so they don't have to do any work. They just have to store stuff in it. And our hope was that on the second one, the second one was pretty sparse. So the hope was now that they don't have open liquid and capped honey in there and they've got these four extra frames, maybe the queen will move over and start laying. So, it's really crucial that we get in there and we check that specific colony and see, is that what occurred? Yeah. Did she go through and start laying, and has she built up that population? Because if she has not built up that population, as of today, it won't make it through winter right. based on the number of bees. It's got plenty Even of though food. it's got plenty of food. Yeah, it's got plenty of food, yeah. but there's not enough bees to keep the colony warm to make it through these really cold snaps. Mm-hmm. So. Again, luckily, our temperatures here are going to go back up. Some of you guys aren't that lucky. You're going to stay cold. You're there, and that's welcome to winter. But for Mm. us, we're we're, we're just going to have these little dips for a little while where it'll start cooling down, and then it goes back up and and whatnot. So we want to see, is there anything else we can do for this colony to help them? If not, then we need to make the decision, okay, we gave them the four frames. It's been a month. They haven't done anything with them, or they just filled them with nectar, and there's still no extra bees in there. At that point... We then may need to look at combining that colony with another colony
1: with the nuke that we got in the eight frame.
0: Ye, possibly. Yeah,
1: yeah. Or whatever we need to. Yeah. Whatever we need to do, but you know these these both these houses, had all the food they could have. Mm-hmm. Everything was full. I mean,
0: yeah, they, they did great, but it was it it ended up being. At the wrong time of year Mm -hmm. to where it became a detriment for them because then they couldn't raise more bees. So their population started decreasing way too soon and they weren't able to keep and sustain that. Well, so just real quick to go back and recap, the the one caveat to this is if it is cold and it is wintertime, and you need to go and just check on your food store. So if what we were going to do at your place mm-hmm. was just a simple check of the upper boxes mm-hmm. or the back part of hives and we were going to open it up real quick and say, OK, uh, looks like we still got 10 frames of, of capped honey. We're good. Mm-hmm. Those types of checks quickly are not bad. You can open up the colony. Now, granted, you're still going to reset the colony because when you open up that lid and that inner cover, first you're breaking mm-hmm. the propolis seals, which are blocking out all the drafts and right. the airflow, and then you're allowing all the heat to escape. It's just going to come straight up mm-hmm. out of that colony because heat rises. Right. It's going to leave. So you've already set them back just from that. But if you're going to open it up really quickly and you're you're counting your capped food stores, or you're going to say, well, I know they need a solid food, which will, we we will be talking about that in in – weeks or months to come whenever it's actually in the middle of winter. Mm -hmm. Um, You could open it up, add in that solid food as a replacement, and then close it back up. Those are the types of times you can open up your colony and do it quickly and it's okay, but you're not going to go look for your queen. You're not looking for eggs. You're not looking for brood production. You're just in that uppermost box. Okay, I still have food. We're good. Or no, they seem to be burning through it. I need to do some sort of emergency strategy feeding. But that's it. No full inspections when it's cold. Um, Your colonies. So what our plan would have been, you know, you've already talked, you need to check the two that you bought. Mm -hmm. The one that we refer to as the trailer hive, Mm -hmm. that one we desperately needed to get into and check. And we needed to do, yeah, we needed to do a full inspection on it frame by frame by frame, because we need to see, did the Virgin Queen make it? Did she mate? Did she make it back from mating? Did she mate properly? Is she laying? So there was a lot of things that needed to be done with that one, and we're going to have to hold off a little bit on it. And then your rock hive, that one's doing good. It's more of just oh, yeah. a check to see. yeah, got
1: plenty of bees in it. Yeah,
0: that one's just a check to see, okay, you had three capped frames of honey. Mm-hmm. Do you now have four? Are you moving towards where we want you to be? Is there a lot of open liquid in there that's going to eventually be capped? Or are you burning through it and now you only have one? So those are the kinds of things we were going to be looking for. Um, your top bars, we needed to check them and make sure they've got close to their 50-50 ratio. And then your two hives that are out there on the quarantine land. Yep. Those two, we just needed to make sure they've yeah. got food stores in there. Mm. And and that was kind of our main goal for some of them was just, are you getting close to your ratio and your winter weight to make it through winter? We're going to talk bees. What, what We've got we be? questions. We have been talking bees. we got questions. We do have questions. Oh, okay. And I, I think at this point, if I don't chop this up, and we add the questions in there, it's going to be like an hour and a half episode because we've already been on for about 45 minutes. And I think there's at least 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes of questions. Um, All right. So we did mention, so, okay. Okay. Uh, There were some of these that we actually recorded a week or two ago, and at the time, it was literally right at that time. They had all just come in that week, but then that episode ended up being really long and Mm -hmm. being kind of disjointed, so we took those and pulled them off to the side. Mm -hmm. We're going to add them into this one. Uh, You may hear things, though, that you know I'm like, all right, so we just got this in today, and it really wasn't today. It was two weeks ago, so I apologize. Um, Or, if I'm paying attention when I'm editing, none of this will ever happen. Yeah, okay. (laughs) All right, so Lacey... Lacey, if you guys remember, she had sent in some questions. She was the one that she had the the top bar out in Kansas City, Missouri, or just south of Kansas City, Missouri. She's the one that the bars were a little bit kind of spaced out because they were cut the wrong size. And she also went through and she had the neighbor who had the swarm of bees in the tree and she was trying to get them and wasn't sure if she got the queen and then it didn't get the queen and had given them a frame from one of the other colonies and they started oh, making the, the queen one cells they, on they it. Made, yeah. yeah, they made lots of queen yeah. cells. So the first email that she sent in, this one actually came in about three days ago and she says, good news, the queen lives. So I just wanted to update everybody on the swarm. It was actually able to raise a queen and she is laying and I have capped brood. I'm still not sure if they're going to survive the winter. Uh, because they only have four bars of comb. But I've been feeding them the two-to-one syrup, and I have made a dry pollen feeder. However, none of my colonies seem to be interested in the pollen substitute. They are bringing in plenty of red, dark, orange pollen right now. That's great. Mm -hmm. That is perfect. Again, the pollen substitute is just if they need it, and that's Mm -hmm. why I love the dry powder pollen, because if they don't need it, you're not forcing an artificial subpar thing over the top of a natural occurring thing. They actually can go get the naturally occurring pollen. That's the best thing they need. If it's not available, as opposed to them starving and not having pollen to raise brood, then they've got the artificial pollen. That's the whole point of it. So that's great. She says, "I did make, uh, I did make a rescue bar of sorts and gave them a little bit more room to lay in. Do you think that that will work? Well, anything to add a little bit of extra comb to them is is." you know, going to be beneficial at this point. You know, you kind of want to have them to mu- have as much space to both lay. And in your case, it's already cold is up, up there as well. So really to start storing food and get it stored up. Um, then she has a note to you. She says, and if I was kin, <laughs> I'd take those bees from that pig farmer. Only if I could be sure that the other farmer never actually found out, I don't want to be greedy or sneaky or anything, but if the colony's going to die anyway, those bees might as well go to help out another colony. Well, yeah. Um, but again, I don't have 10 colonies in my first year, so there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, all right. Then we got one from her yesterday and this one, she says, this one is a, a little bit longer, but she's like, okay, The temps here are 44 degrees in Kansas City this morning. Yikes. It's going to be back up in the 60s this weekend, and I'll have a chance to put some of the insulation under the lid that I was planning on doing. Here's my current plan. My top bar hive that has the gaps between the bars, I'm going to do the lid, then a pink foam insulation board, a layer of wool, and a layer of canvas. Um, I had this on there for a little bit with the pink foam board and they started chewing at it before I took it away from them. So I definitely need some sort of barrier. I thought that the wool would help any con- uh, condensation that's coming up from there kind of retain that so it wouldn't rain back down on them. And if they want to propolize the canvas, that's fine. So the canvas is going to be her protective barrier between the wool and the insulation. So that to me, that sounds great. You go through and you kind of basically build yourself a-, a layer or a bag where you've got the canvas, hopefully draping over everything to cover it up the wool on top of that to provide both that moisture kind of pull the moisture out and also provide the insulation and the heat barrier and then on top of that you've got that pink foam insulation on the lid just to kind of help hold everything in um by the time you get to the pink foam at the very top it could just be overkill i don't know if it's going to really make too much of a difference but yeah but it looks so good wow (laughs) Sometimes, if only you guys could see the videos of what's going on in the studio. Uh, but again, in the winter time when it's coming to the insulation aspect of it, you know, more is probably better. It's one of the few times that more is more is good. So that's all fine. Um, she then wants to know about mouse guards over the entrance and uh, making a hay bale windbreak. Does that sound good? Well, yeah. If you don't have entrance discs like we do, then definitely go ahead. You know, because some some of the top bars have a long slit, yeah. like a three-inch slit in yeah. in them, and you yeah. want to put mouse guards over bigger holes that mice and things can get into. So yes, go ahead and put a mouse guard over there if you want to. If it is a larger entrance, I would even recommend covering um, all but maybe an inch so that you only have an inch of the the opening or an inch of the mouse guard that they can come and go through, and the rest of it is sealed off in some manner so that it helps keep the wind and the drafts and stuff from getting up inside there. And then on the haybell windbreak, absolutely. If you've got the haybells in and the time and you yeah. want to do that, build it on the north side so that you've got that northern windbreak. That will definitely help as well. So all in all, I think that your plan sounds great. Uh, I don't see really any issues with any of those things. You should be good there.
1: Just don't shoot the beehives when you're out there shooting arrows at the hay bales.
0: <laughs> I don't think that's a winter pastime, is it? I oh, don't know. I don't live up there where it's snow. <laughs> is that uh, what you guys I mean, do? You out shoot out there and shoot
1: arrows into, air, into the hay bales.
0: No, see, I suck at bow and arrow, but I'm <laughs> expert at javelin. So I can throw a javelin and hit a hay bale dang near spot on. But not bows and arrows. I fail my heritage when it comes to that. I I'm can't not a shoot javelin bow. thrower. I was a, I was a shot putter. Yeah, I can do spears, but I can't, uh. I can't do bow and arrow, man. Not to <laughs> save my life. Unless you're close. If you're close, I can do some damage, but that's only because it's really hard to miss. <laughs> hmm. All right, her last part here. Oh, I lied. There's two more parts. Uh, her little swarm. So this is an update on that. My little swarm is only four bars and a goofy rescue bar with about half a comb on it. The box holds 12 bars, so my plan is to reduce the bottom entrance, rescue bar, oh, she's going to reduce the bottom entrance, and then she's going to reduce it down to where it's just the rescue bar and the four full bars by putting a follower board after those, and then between the follower board and the wall of the nuke box, she's going to put in some wood chips and sawdust to add some extra buffer and insulation in there. I think that sounds great. Again, you've reduced the amount of space, so you've reduced the amount of space that they have to guard. You've also reduced the amount of space that the heat could travel, so it's going to keep it right there around those four comb. Mm -hmm. And then you've provided extra insulation to help hold that heat in there. I think that's all great. Um, If you can, if you wanted to add a little bit maybe of the wool or the foam insulation on top of those bars for the nuke box as well, And those bars are all solid, so that's not going to be a problem with them chewing. But that would also just help kind of keep that heat in there. Um, The other thing, though, on them, the the real challenge is going to be number of bees to food stores. That's the big catch right there on them. And if you can at least get them to where they have enough bees for that small space to survive and to, to keep it warm and have two to three things of capped food in there, They may be okay. And, again, I told the story where I had the teeny tiny little nuke box that was Mm -hmm. never intended for bees, and I managed to salvage a queen that I just felt bad about killing, and so I didn't, and I raised Mm -hmm. her in there. It worked. It survived. But it was a lot of hand-holding, and that also happened down here where our seasons are a little bit different. But if you baby that sucker, it could definitely make it through there. So her last note here, she's planning planning with some teachers at school for spring— And they're going to be doing a seed and pollinator unit, and she wants to build an observation box to take to school. Mm -hmm. So she would like to know, do I take the queen, too, or do I leave her with the colony? How long can the queen be gone before the colony gets upset? Well, technically, the colony knows the queen's gone within an hour. Now, they may not start making preparations to replace her for about 12 to 24 hours, just depending on how desperate they feel Mm -hmm. at the time and also what's available. Now, they may immediately start going through and making more royal jelly and putting it into the cells, but they may not start extending the cells out and starting to curve them into those emergency queen cells just yet. But it really depends on what you're doing. If you had a nice warm day, you can open up the colony, you can go through, you can find the queen, you can take her out. I've done it both ways. If I know that I can go out that morning, put the queen in the observation hive, go do the show and actually show everybody there's the queen, and then come back and put the queen back in the colony that same day, that is better. Because the colony's not without the queen for too long, and you know everything's okay, but... If it's going to be something where, well, I need to take the queen out really and get prepared to, tonight, and then she's going to go and she's going to do this thing tomorrow, but then I'm probably not going to get her back into her colony until the day after, and you've got a three-day window there, don't take the queen. Leave the queen inside the colony, just take some frames of capped brood and the workers, and you can show all the inner workings. And, but you just won't have the queen. And sometimes it's more valuable that way. You can have pictures and show what a queen looks like, but you're not going to potentially risk your other colony. Because what could happen, that queen, if she's gone for three days and they start making a new queen, and you go and you just immediately put her back in there, they, kill they may not accept her. They yeah. may decide, we're far enough along this path on the other ones that we don't we you're, don't know oh, you or we don't know you, so you're gone. Um, I've seen it go both ways. I've seen it where they turn around and they tear down the emergency cells, and they're like, "Oh, there you are." And I've seen it where they're like, "Nope, you're done." So it's it's risky if she's going to be out of there more than you know, 12 hours kind of thing.
1: Either way, I'm pretty sure this is a country music song. Oh no! Yep. Are you going to sing it? I'm thinking it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you got to dream it up. I've got a
1: little swarm in my four-bar nuke. Do I want to take the queen to the school? And lay a fish? she goes too long whiskey. Will they let her come back? <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: again, if only we had video. Um... <laughs> there you
1: are. You got your country and western song. <laughs>
0: <clears throat> well, thank you, sir. Country. It's country. It's country. Yeah. It's country. Um, it's not Western. No, it's country. Maybe a little, uh, like, not quite swing, but maybe. Maybe. Um, uh, now, I could make it blues. Yeah, they, they, there it could, could have be made a bluesy a... in there. So this one is from Blake, and Blake is from Montgomery, Alabama, and he says, hey, guys, I'm a big fan of the show. No. and He did not say that. He says, hey, guys, I'm a big fan of the
1: show. I'm from Montgomery, Alabama. <laughs> Now, get that damn stuff right. <laughs> he didn't say, hey, guys, I'm a big fan of the show, and I love the show. No.
0: <laughs> I wasn't aware that i was talk, supposed to be you reading in character. you got to talk Alabama. I wasn't, I wasn't aware I was supposed to be reading in character. Um, but since how you brought that up, when I'm done with these, I'm going to go find this message that was posted on Facebook mm-hmm. that they sent to me, and I turned around. I think I sent it to you. If I didn't, you're going to get a kick out of this. Um, but we're going to find that because if you want to read something phonetically, this, one was, that one. this one was spelled out phonetically in as redneck as possible. I can talk redneck
1: ease anytime. Well,
0: this one, they made it so that anybody could, because oh, if you yeah, read it the I way it's written, neck-ese. that's how it's written. Uh-huh. All right. So anyhow, back to Blake. Okay. Blake says, um, <clears throat> not in Ken's version, <laughs> he's a big fan of the show and he's listened to every episode three times now. Holy crap. Well, it's because he's trying to learn how to talk Texan. I don't know. Um, But man, love the dedication, Blake. Absolutely love the dedication. uh, So he says, I'm in my fourth year of beekeeping, and I'm getting a lot more serious with a hobby that a friend of mine had initially got me into. Up until the last few months, I got all of my knowledge from him, and he has now passed away. I'm very sorry to hear that. Sorry to hear that. Um, But that is what has motivated me to learn more on my own. He always taught me to use two deeps on each hive, and then we would always leave one full honey super on top of the two deeps for winter. That means he's got three boxes out there. He's got three boxes. Yeah. I know you guys have said in your podcast to leave one box of honey to one box of bees. All three of my Langstroth hives are slam full of bees. My question is, do I leave two honey supers for them on top of my two deeps, or do I just leave one super on top of my two deeps? All three hives are very strong and healthy. There is a lot of honey in all of the deeps. Any advice would be great. Thanks. Does he split? (laughs) I don't know. We're just trying to worry about getting through winter right now. Okay. Well, hey, you. But he's in Alabama. Yeah, but so let's. let's, Ain't no
1: winter in Alabama.
0: Well, let's go through real quick what you just said about splitting because you you mentioned this to me a lot and and I just kind of usually laugh at you and let you go on with it. But I know, like when we talk about the big. The huge swarm that came in. We could have split that one. Well, right. It, right then we could have. Yeah. But you have to keep in mind the time of the year and the cycles of what happens in a colony. Well, no, you don't so, want to split this time of year. It's no, springtime. No, no, no. but, but the way that that actually looks, though, is you cannot base anything on any colony today for next year. You just can't. I agree with you. Because yeah. say that colony is four boxes and say it is pushing like some monstrous... 70,000 bees, Mm -hmm. which is very rare. 60,000 is usually where they max out, no matter what they're in, right? Mm -hmm. That's just right now. Over winter, that entire colony shrinks. Mm -hmm. And most colonies coming out of winter are lucky to have 10,000 bees. 10,000 bees, yes, 10,000 bees is not enough bees to split. No, not to split. No. No. So when you look at this monster colony this year and you're like, oh, man, you you can split that next year and you can get three hives out of that. Maybe. It depends on what you do, how you manage them, how well they overwinter. And what they do. If there's a situation or a circumstance where you're artificially stimulating them and they actually can continue to raise bees Mm -hmm. or you start artificially stimulating them early, like late winter, early spring, Mm -hmm. and they get built back up to where they've got like 30,000 in there, yeah, you can go through and you can do your splits. If you don't touch them, and it was a harsh, harsh winter, Mm -hmm. and their population has drastically decreased, they may have been a beautiful colony the year before, but they may need all the help in the world that spring to get going, and they may not be able to be split. So it's like counting the chickens, you know, counting your your chicks before the eggs have hatched. Mm -hmm. You can't base anything this year. That's chicken math. Well, that's that's not exactly chicken math, but it's part of chicken math. Okay. Um, We did have somebody point out. uh, We posted the one plus one equals one for Mm -hmm. the combining and consolidating Mm -hmm. episode, and somebody was like, "That is not chicken math." I was like, "Nope, it's not. (laughs) One (laughs) plus one equals one is not how chicken math goes." (laughs) Okay, so back to Blake here.
1: Oh, I got uh, Blake. Get you a cassette player or uh, or an eight track? They don't have those anymore, do they?
0: I mean, you can find the eight track tapes. And get some Barry
1: White, and play it right there in front of the. Of the queen, and she will do a lot more laying for you.
0: <clears throat> so the queen never mates inside the colony.
1: Well, she done took off. She's already done, and she's down in the house. Right, she right. Just got to play Barry White so she lays more
0: eggs. But I, I thought the I thought the Barry White was you know too. Never mind. Yeah, that's so, all go there. <laughs> um, <coughs> that's already been done multiple times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, so here, here's the thing, Blake. For yours, we went through and we looked up the region. And I based it on Montgomery versus Austin. We are almost the same average temperature
1: in it's November, yeah.
0: in December, and in February. In January, they are like six degrees cooler than we are. Probably a little higher. Well, for whatever yeah. whatever the reason they're only six degrees cooler than us for their average temperature, which mm-hmm. means their winters are not very rough. No. So what we, when we'd say one box of bees needs one box of food, we're theorizing your comb that is open and available that is fully covered in bees. So mm-hmm. if your first box has open comb and is fully covered in bees, and your second box is fully capped honey that mm-hmm. does not count. That is not a box of bees. That is a box of honey. Mm-hmm. So you are you would literally have to have your two deeps, solid brood in both deeps, to then turn around and say, I need two more boxes of honey to match my two boxes of bees. It's a very weird logic to that, but you also want to reduce the size of your colony down as well because— Any heat that the bees produce, they're going to start winter in that bottom box. And any heat they produce is going to go up. And if you were to have three more boxes above it, all your heat's going to be in the fourth box and your bees are going to be in the first box. And that could be a recipe for disaster if there was a really random cold snap that you and your region and your bees were not prepared for. So I would say the more bees you can fit into a smaller space, the better they can warm and heat that space. So if you have one deep box full of bees and you've got one deep box full of honey that's how I would leave it I would take everything above that off and just leave your two deeps to overwinter in I wouldn't give them a third medium super to have for extra food that's my personal opinion without seeing the inside of the hives and without knowing what's really going on if you have a deep full of honey and a deep full of bees that's still two boxes of volume that those bees can spread out in but that's how I would overwinter my colonies
1: and what you're telling him, don't put the third box on her because what's gonna happen, the bees in the two boxes are gonna get warm. They're gonna warm everything up. The heat's gonna to go to the third colony where nothing's living. Third box.
0: Third box. Colony. I said colony. Colony or the bees. Yeah. one of one of our one of our bonus episodes is going to be that quiz. I know, I know exactly <laughs> what you are gonna do. <clears throat> All right. I think we have oh, Blake had one secondary question in here. Okay. Um, he says that he uses oxalic acid to treat the mites. He uses the vaporisation method which gasses the oxalic acid, and he says that he has gassed his hives in the past with the honey supers on the hives. Will it cause the honey to be harmful to the humans when eating? My friend taught me to gas everything, but I have since learned that you're really targeting the brood nest with the oxalic acid and I have seen some people remove the honey supers before gassing the brood nest. Well, Here's the deal. Oxalic acid leaves microscopic crystals on everything. Now they're tiny, but if you inhale the gases, those microscopic crystals get inside your lungs and cause permanent damage. So they're not anything that you would want, and oxalic acid is toxic. It is deadly. You don't want to ingest it. So I would say absolutely not. And I'm pretty sure if you go out there and you look at the Varroa Management Guide or the Honeybee Health Coalition and you look up oxalic acid in there, it will tell you when you can and cannot use it. And I'm pretty certain you're not supposed to use it if there is a honey flow going on or if you've got your honey supers on. So I would say no. In the future take all of that off you should treat before then and treat after you do your harvest before you put any of the stores back on there for them that is that's the best way but again anything varroa related go back to that varroa management guide look up the honeybee health coalition and the varroa management guide and get all your information from that i personally would not eat that honey if it had been treated with the oxalic acid vapor there you go okay all I'll, right I'll, I'll go with it <laughs> yeah, i'll do i'll do whatever you say sir Uh, We had an email come in from Amber, and Amber says, Hey, guys, uh, I love the show, and I've been obsessed with the podcast ever since I had the pleasure of discovering it. I'm a first-year beekeeper in New Gloucester, Maine. I have two hives of Russian bees, and I'll be going into my first winter, which is absolutely terrifying to me. Admittedly, I've made a few mistakes this first year, but I'm already forming plans on how to correct some of my mistakes next year thanks to the guidance of this podcast.
1: Aww. Wow. Wow.
0: I in was, Maine yet? In Maine, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if you might be able to put together a list of supplies that we should need, want, going into year two. Also, I'd love to hear more about pollen collecting and if it's something that you take part in or not. Do you prefer collecting from the top because it's cleaner pollen or the bottom, which could actually catch debris? I would love to learn, to, I would love to learn more as I've heard that pollen has some very good health benefits. Looking forward to what comes next. Amber. P.S. Get the show a sponsor so you guys can get paid in capital letters, which will give us more episodes. Smiley face with the tongue sticking out. (laughs) Now, uh, can I tell her where to get pollen? No. Okay. Because you're not going to give her the right answer. She's talking about legitimate pollen.
1: Well, I know what she's talking about. The pollen traps, though, what I have read about them...
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I straight up told you no. no
1: <laughs> so I didn't even no, give you a chance. I'm <laughs> going
0: to buy Ultra B what I'm going to buy. That's but, what
1: I figured you were going to say. Yeah, That's was like, gonna, no. You'll know, we'll get Ultra B.
0: Yeah, okay. So so pollen trapping is what she's referring to there. Mm-hmm. And she is she is exactly talking about what you're, what you're referring to, getting the pollen traps. Right. There's one that can go on the entrance. There's one that actually goes underneath the hive. And then there's mm-hmm. one that you can use up towards the top. Um, what the pollen trap is designed to do is it's big enough for the bee to get through just barely. Mm -hmm. So when the bees come in and they've got the pollen on their hips Mm -hmm. and they try to go in, it actually knocks those pellets off of the hips of the bees and they fall down into the trap and then you can have that there. Now the bottom traps and the front traps, both of which have the opportunity to get debris. The bottom one that goes underneath the hive is going to have the highest potential of collecting more debris because anything that they open and and scrape or knock off is going to fall straight down. The ones that are actually on the front entrance, those... Technically, they wouldn't catch a lot of debris, but sometimes the bees do throw things out the front so you could get a little bit. The top ones are going to be ones that are going to have the least opportunity to get the debris in it, but it also may have the least opportunity to get the pollen. It really depends on what their primary entrance is when they're bringing back the materials. Um, I do not actively catch pollen from my hives, mainly because you're depriving your bees of their primary protein source that they desperately need to go through and raise brood. Mm-hmm. That is a healthy, strong colony absolutely has to have pollen. And if you've got a trap on one of your colonies and you're collecting the pollen that they're desperately trying to bring in, you're doing them a disservice. And you may be doing them that disservice because in in some regards, your brain may be saying, well, but they may need pollen in the winter, so I'm going to do the same thing I'm doing Bound right for now me. for the summer. You know, when I take their honey and I can store some for right. winter, well, I should take some of their pollen and store it for winter. Well, that's that's not the same case, really, because mm-hmm. your colony may be much bigger, much stronger, much healthier if you just let them bring in their own pollen and don't take it from them. Um, the other thing with pollen traps, too, is it can be really tricky on the pollen aspect. If you're truly doing it and you want to do it for a health benefit, you've got to go out there once a day minimum and empty that pollen trap and then immediately process the pollen. It either has to be frozen or freeze dried. I think there's also a method where you can dehydrate it, but if you don't do that, that pollen can actually dry out and start to degrade very quickly on its own because it it has a moisture content to it. And as that happens, it's the same concept as when you, when you pick a vegetable or a fruit or you take the top of it off, immediately all of the bio-nutrients start breaking down. It starts dying. That's the same thing that'll happen in the pollen. So you could end up with pollen that maybe doesn't have the health benefits you're looking for because you left it out there for a week and and it's kind of null and void at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the pros and cons. I have participated in some pollen studies where they were actually using it to go through and look under magnifying glasses and and determine the different types of pollen to see where it's come from. They also do that when we do our honey testing. They'll use the the pollen that is naturally occurring in the honey to go through and, and figure out what the main varieties of things your bees are foraging on. Um, so we've done a few things like that just for the scientific purposes of it. But not as a general rule. I don't usually go through and do the trapping. But that's not to say that people can't. If you want to do that and you want to experiment and try it, absolutely go for it. Uh, Maybe just do it for a little bit of time, you know, like maybe a week um, or switch it back and forth between colonies so that you're giving them each chance to continue bringing in stuff and you're not just completely depriving them. Your first question that was in there, Amber, you know, coming up with a list of different things. Well, good news, because we will definitely be doing that as we start season two. And we start preparing everybody for their second year of beekeeping. We will very much go through and do just like we did at the very beginning of this year. And we'll start talking about, okay, here's the things you need to plan for over winter. Here's the things you could be doing right now. And as you said, here's a list of supplies and things that you might want to look at getting and and being prepped for. So that will be coming down the line later this year or at the very, very beginning of next year, one or the other. Uh, Before the spring actually hits, you will have an episode that will tell you guys, how and what you should be considering and and buying and purchasing and working on. So absolutely not a problem. We will definitely get that out there for you. And we appreciate you listening. We are glad that you're enjoying the show and that we could be of some assistance up there in Maine. And thank you very much for sending in that email to us.
1: I think one thing we ought to talk about come before spring, and me and John have talked about it in previous shows,
0: that's swarm traps. Yeah, we'll talk about that again. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, because next year as swarm season really gets mm-hmm. off, uh, we'll, we'll go through and do that again. Okay. Our next one comes in from Jared and Jared says, I love the show. And I follow you guys on Instagram. One of my hives got invaded by hive beetles over the summer and I lost the hive. I took the frames out and I froze them and I was wanting to know if I could actually use those same frames for a new package of bees this next spring. The frames were full of beetles and larva, which I killed as many of them as I possibly could before throwing them in the freezer. I live in Texas, and my grandpa had bees, but unfortunately I was too young to appreciate it before he passed. I'm kind of on my own out here, and I would appreciate any advice you guys might have. Thank you so much, Jared. I actually responded to Jared's email um, prior to this, so he Mm -hmm. he already has my answer, but I thought it was kind of good to bring up on the show. Um, One thing... Yes, sir. Yes, little little kin in the back of the room. <laughs> uh, when he froze them, he took care of that. He did. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, I, and that was the the main part of my que- or main part of my answer was yes, you can absolutely reuse mm-hmm. those. The hive beetles and wax moths themselves, they're not the same concept as a disease or a virus or anything else. Uh, but the one thing that I cannot possibly stress enough, and it, I know it's really easy for us to blame the hive beetles and the wax moths for things, but What we really, really need to understand is that a hive beetle and a wax moth, both of those are listed as nuisance pests. They are not anything that on their own accord can be degradatory to a colony because a strong, healthy colony will always keep them out of there. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be hive beetles in your hives. There's always going to be wax moths in your hives, Mm -hmm. but the bees will keep them regulated to the back sections. They will clean out all of their eggs. They will keep it to where they don't become a problem, but they're always there. It may just be two or three. Now, what happens in the case of high beetles is when something else happens to your colony, your queen gets sick. She dies. It goes laying worker or a disease takes over and the colony itself becomes in distress it actually emits a smell and a pheromone that indicates it's in distress, and the hive beetles are keyed in on that. So you may have had, you know, say, 5 or 10 in there, and then all of a sudden you get 50 because they can sense that that colony's in trouble. Now, as the colony's in trouble and your population starts to to decrease, now there's nobody cleaning up all the larva from the hive beetles and cleaning out all the eggs, and the hive beetles then get a foothold. So when you see something like this, it's not the hive beetle's fault. There is something else going on with your colony. You have to reduce that space down. You've got to take it to where there's only enough space for the bees themselves to guard so that you don't end up having this issue where everything basically crashes out and dies. Now, if it does, you can go through and you can salvage the colony and you can salvage the comb. But one of the the only thing that I would say is a cautionary thing here is what caused it? If you can't identify what caused it, and it was potentially, and this is not, you know, I don't want to, like, terrify everybody, but if it was potentially one of the worst diseases that bees can get, and you didn't know it, and you didn't identify it, and you froze it, there's two of those that freezing it will not kill the disease. And then you could turn around and give those frames to a new colony, and then give that colony the disease. When I say this, I'm mainly referring to American Foulbrood. And American foul brood, it exists. It's out there, but it's not nearly as prevalent as it was in years past. So. Don't immediately have a heart attack. Don't freak out. There's a lot of indications and warning signs that will tell you what American fowl brood, that it's truly in your colony. Um, You you can go through and you can do what they call the rope test, which is where you kind of poke the larva, stir them up, and pull it out. And there's the smell. There's indications in the cappings. There's all these things that are red flags of this is American fowl brood. And if you ever get that disease, the only solution is to literally burn everything. Burn it. All of it. Mm -hmm. But that's worst case scenario. That is not usually what happens. Sometimes the beekeeper goes through and they were doing an inspection during the middle of the summer dearth and they squished their queen and they didn't know it or realize it. You know, they were putting a frame back in and they rolled her or they squished her or she was on the frame and she fell out and they stepped on her. They You just don't know sometimes what happens. And then the colony has no eggs in there cuz it's a summer dearth. Mm-hmm. So eventually they turn around and they start doing laying workers and then it just all starts falling apart and there's no new workers being born. So it shrinks. And as it shrinks, something else happens. The hive beetles take over and then when the hive beetles are done, the wax moths eat everything else. So that's kind of what can happen in those scenarios and it's again, it's not it's not the end of the world, but if you did end up losing your colony for whatever reason and, you know, the end result was the hive beetles or the wax moths, if you can salvage it, take it, put it in the freezer, that kills any of the, the eggs or the larvae that may still be on there. Then you're going to take it out, and what I would almost do in some regards, depending on your situation and where you're at, back in the day when I would have a frame that would be covered in hive beetles or wax moths, I would take it and give it to my chickens. The The chickens don't tear up your wax, but they will absolutely get all of those. I mean, they got pinpoint precision. They can get in between themselves and pull out all those larvas, and they'll munch them all up, and then they're gone. So if you have that as an option, go for it. (laughs) If not, go ahead and freeze them. But the other thing you can do is you can set those out, just literally out in the open, and you can let other colonies come in, and they will rob all of that out, and they'll clean it up for you, (laughs) and then you can go and you can store that comb. If you do that one, I would definitely turn around and put it back in the freezer again because it is setting out in the mm-hmm. open. You know, other things could have came and laid eggs and it's so just to be safe, put it back in the freezer. If you've got the space, leave it in there till spring. If you don't, freeze it for 48 hours or more. Then take it out, let it come back up inside your house, not outside. Let it come back up to room temperature, and then put it in some sort of air or bug-tight container. Make sure there's no moisture in there. That way it doesn't get any mold or anything going on it at that point. And then store it. And then the next spring, if you've got a nuke of bees or if you've got a package of bees, then you can go through and you can do like what you've heard Ken and I talk about, where you can kind of cheat, because then you've got drawn comb, that you can put into that colony to give them a boost and help them kind of start off and, and hit the ground running. So yeah, it is it is definitely something that can be done for sure. And Jared, we appreciate you sending us that email. And uh, hopefully your next year and your next package of bees goes much better for you. And always you can always shoot us messages. You can send us me emails like you did for this one. And um, we're always happy to answer your guys' questions on that kind of stuff.
1: I got five brood boxes in the freezer right now. I gotta pull out. Yeah. Tomorrow i I got a table and I make a little C kind of a C out of them and I've got a big box fan and blow into them. That's like an air conditioner on
0: the back side of them boxes. Are you turning them up so the air goes straight between the frames? Yeah
1: yeah, yeah. and I'm turning them uh, they uh, going into the bottom of the frame and out the top of the frame. Yeah. Like you told me. Yep,
0: exactly. And then so it's kind of. I can pull them out that way. Yeah, it's it's coming up and it's letting the air go through to where it'll help pull any, yep. any last moisture and anything out of there. Yep.
1: And then also, after I take them out, I've got these, you know, you've seen the big Ziploc bags I've got. So yeah. <laughs> in, they're, 20, they're, <laughs> they're huge. Five gallon Ziploc bags. I put four deep frames in there. I throw two 20 20-gram of the silica. Mm-hmm. The silica packs. Throw that in there and seal it. So
0: Yeah. So if there was I'm any cheat traces along, yeah, you are. <laughs> you're you're all about it. So on this one here, this is a Instagram message from Jeremy. And Jeremy wanted to know if we had any materials that we could point him towards that would explain supers and when you use deeps versus mediums. And he says that uh, he's heard us say before. Sometimes we use supers and we say mediums, but is there any time that you would actually use a deep? i've I've already went through and had a conversation with Jeremy as well. but, For the rest of you out there, the terminology itself basically indicates when you're supering. If you if you go back and you listen to um, one of our earlier episodes, is actually titled "Supering versus Nadiring," and you can go through and you can learn what each of those mean by listening to that episode, and it tells you where to put them and when to put them and all the things you need to know about that. But for the most part, what you're actually looking at is supering refers to above putting boxes above. Mm -hmm. Nadirin means putting boxes below. Mm -hmm. And that's the only thing really that that indicates. Now, if you've got a deep brood box, Mm -hmm. that's your first box. Mm -hmm. If you're using mediums, two mediums are just a little bit more volume than one deep. But those two mediums would be considered still your brood box. It'd be the same concept as your deep. Mm -hmm. Then when you have your second box on top of the deep... Your medium. No doesn't matter the size, okay. just your second okay. box. Yeah. Okay. Because that that's where I think a lot right. of the confusion comes in is down here we do talk about mediums mm-hmm. because we don't need that much volume. Mm-hmm. Up north, they're going to do most everything in deeps. Mm-hmm. Um, some people, like us, will have a deep and a medium, but then you can't necessarily interchange things. So some people may do all mediums, so they're all interchangeable, or all deeps, so they're all interchangeable. But the main thing is your base box, that's your deep box, mm-hmm or your medium box, that's your brood box. That's what I really should say. Your first box is your brood box. If you Mm -hmm. are doing mediums, then your first two boxes are your brood boxes. Mm -hmm. Your next box that you put above those is the pantry for the bees. Mm -hmm. Anything above that box is considered, quote-unquote, your supers. And your supers are the ones that you would then take back off to harvest later. They're not necessarily intended to stay for the bees. Those are the super ring and the additional boxes for yourself. So it doesn't matter if they're all deeps. It doesn't matter if they're all mediums. The pros and cons of those sorts of things really come straight down to weight. A deep box full of honey weighs a lot. Mm -hmm. And if you've got to move five of those deep boxes of honey to get down to check your bees, that's a lot of lifting and a lot of weight. If you're using mediums, it's not as heavy. If you're using eight frames versus 10 frames, then it's a little bit lighter even still. So the size of the box really is up to the beekeeper. But the terminology "supering" is putting boxes above. Mm-hmm. That's what that refers to. So hopefully that helps you out there, Jeremy. And again, thank you for reaching out. And uh, he was worried that uh, that he was bugging us with questions, and uh, I informed him that I work with bugs every day. <laughs> work with me, too. <laughs> well, <laughs> I met literal insects, but um, but yeah, it's it's not it's not a problem whatsoever. Sometimes it might take us a little while to to get around to the questions. Um, here recently I've actually had the opportunity to be more readily available on the phone as the season kind of starts to wind down. So I've been able to go through and respond to these directly quickly instead of having, you know, our, our social media people shoot it over to me and I get to it a day or two later. (laughs) So, so yeah. Um, but yeah, always feel free to go through and send us stuff, guys. We, we definitely do not mind. And I might even answer some of them. Yeah. You're getting good. (laughs) You are definitely getting there. All right. So we'll do another one here. Here was the thing that I wanted to, to close on because okay. I thought it was funny. This is I'll, what, I'll shut up now. This is what we mentioned earlier. Um, so this is from Jacob on Facebook. Okay. And Jacob, I am going to read this the way Jacob wrote it. And when I saw this, I laughed and laughed. And I also, I loved the response that, that our friends on social media gave. <laughs> <laughs> so what it says, show I dear. Get yourself one of them Dare flower experts, Sit them down for a talking about the various flowers by region and relationships to bees. We can get ourselves some education about pollens and nectars and the times of years that there's a bloomin'. That's the message. And mm-hmm. that's how it's that is how it is phonetically spelled out. That's not me being a smart ass. <laughs> so Here's where the smartass comes in, though. Whomever of our volunteers that was on Facebook at the time responded and said, "We're going to get Ken to translate this message and get back with you." Wink. <laughs> 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 so that cracked
1: me up. <laughs> now, y'all be y'all better worry or start worrying if you
0: hear. Uh... Battling banjos. Yeah. Um, I do have, and I don't know if I could ever necessarily get her on, and she has a very thick accent, but um, I do have a lady who is a wonderful expert in pollen producing plants and things like that, and we could try to get her onto the show Um, she has a, you know, she has little, little ones, little kids and things, and she's also a teacher and she's very busy, but we could try to get her in here and and have her go through and do that. And it would be relevant. Like the, the challenge is how do we do that for across the United States versus regionally because everything is different. So we can very well talk about the plants in central Texas and in a little bit broader scope, the plants in Texas in general. And then some of those do overlap. Like people up North have goldenrod. So a but lot we of don't. that yeah, because you're weird. I do. You <laughs> don't. don't. Um, so we can we can kind of wrap that in and, and yes, that would be definitely something that we could go through and do at some point. It's just gonna be a challenge to be able to find that where it is. <sighs> now our daughter in Hutto
1: has goldenrod. She has sent me pictures back and I well, that's goldenrod. We don't have it in Lano, or at least in Tao where I live.
0: It's getting close to Halloween. It is getting close to Halloween. Yeah, we have uh, we have our scary bee story episode, <laughs> and uh, Ken and I will be dressed as twinsies in matching shirts that we will take a yeah. photo for you guys. Yeah, and that's going to actually come out on Halloween Day. We'll we'll put that out on Halloween okay. for everybody. That'll be the bonus episode that week. So That'll instead work. of it coming out on Wednesday, yeah. it'll come out on Thursday. Um, that'll be the last week of October there. We'll, we'll get that scary B stories in there for you guys. And there's also going to be, uh, you know, for the whole month of October, you've got a bonus episode every week. This week, the bonus episode will be out on Wednesday and we're going to be talking about the... The convention, I think, actually is what this bonus episode is. It's going to be the Texas Beekeepers Association, their convention for their winter San convention. Antonio? The one down in San Antonio. Okay. So that'll we'll have a bonus episode about that just to kind of walk you guys through what a convention looks like, all the different things that you can expect down there. And, hey, if you guys are in the area, absolutely come on down. I will be there. Um, so find me and say hi. But that'll, that a Friday, Saturday, Sunday thing? Yeah, yeah. You know what? Check out the bonus episode. It has all the details in it. That'll come out on Wednesday. Okay. <laughs> but anyhow, we uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in as always. And if you have any questions or anything, you guys know the drill. You hear us say it before. But for any l- new listeners out there who just ran across us accidentally, um, welcome. This is the Hive Jive, as you heard at the beginning and the end. You'll hear it again. But... If you ever have questions, we're more than happy to answer them. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook, at The Hive Jive, and you can send those questions to us. If you want to do email, it's going to be info at thehivejive.com. Send in those listener questions. We're more than happy to go through and answer them on the show as we did here today. And until next time, you guys, be good. Be safe. Behave. Oh, if y'all want me to sing country
1: music song for you, just send. Let me know what you want me to talk about.
0: Yeah, send him. Send him in a subject matter, and uh, we'll
1: get a song in there for you guys. <laughs> All
0: Does right. Does
1: the commode go the wrong direction down south? Oh God! <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Y'all be safe. Be good. Been listening to The Hive Jive. We appreciate you joining us on our beekeeping adventures, and you can find out more information about today's episode online at TheHiveJive.com. And as always, thanks for listening.